This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Itumar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. Now, here's your host, Kevin Pruitt. Welcome to the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we talk with successful marketing experts about ways to build and grow a digital marketing agency. I have a very special guest with me today. He's the CEO and founder of Sales Schema, a fractional new business team for marketing agencies and B2B service companies. He also hosts the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. He's the author of Relationship Sales at Scale and Mastering Account Management. Previously, he was the first employee head of new business at the animation studio Idea Rocket. He currently lives in New York, and in his spare time, he enjoys hurting himself versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> it's my pleasure to welcome Dan Englander to the podcast. Dan, thanks for joining us. Kevin, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It is. Uh, it's my pleasure, and and I love the way you ended your bio as to, you know, he, he, he takes great pleasure in hurting himself with, with jiu-jitsu. So. Yeah, I don't know about pleasure, but it, it happens. That is a rarity in, in bios is uh, the way that you end that with, with such humor. But, I mean, it's a, it's a very short bio, and you've got a long history. So kind of add some meat to the bone, you know, kind of give us the full 360 who Dan Englander is. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do my best. So um, I, I basically moved to New York out of college in like 2010 and worked some internships, you know, kind of like work in catering and stuff and eventually kind of like landed in, in the agency space. Um, and I was working as an accounts person, you know, pitching ideas and doing, you know, some kind of copywriting, like utility player work. This was back when social media was new and cool and companies would just give agencies tons of money to like manage a Facebook wall. And yeah, I did that for a little throw while. money at you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and that happens where there's a new thing and then, it, you know, it, it, it explodes. So I was kind of part of that, um, but in a very, you know, entry level role from there moved on was working as a very classic situation. That I think I still see a lot with our clients in the agency space, which was the kind of like sales client service hybrid role. I was selling um, animated video creative services, um, into the enterprise market, funded startups, commercial work, and that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, kind of really uh, saw how hard it is to, for one, like balance those two things. Um, I wasn't even the owner, but I was, you know, an early employee. So dealing with managing a client relationship and a project and everything, and then in your spare time as a hobby, also being able to like sell and bring in business. Mm. It's a challenge. I think lots of boutique agencies deal with that, you know, even, even from the owners. Uh, and also just tried everything under the sun to get business for, you know, a complex creative offering, um, not selling drums of oil or cars, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so learned a lot from that. And then around 2014, kind of uh, did the did the Tim Ferriss thing, you know, quit my job, um, traveled Asia for a while, got some, uh, came back, we needed to make money, got some early consulting clients. And then I noticed that like the people that, you know, tended to hire me were agencies because I had the background and the help they need, needed was getting doors open, keeping the pipeline full and that kind of thing. And I also didn't want to have a consulting business. I wanted to build something that's at least re relatively scalable. So started sales schema in that way. Um, and the rest is kind of history. We've at this point, we've worked with around a hundred agencies, thousands of campaigns. We've done everything to get meetings for our clients, um, have are having clients that are, you know, consistently closing six, seven figure deals right now. Um, and it's through 
uh, an approach that we haven't seen anyone else doing very well. And I, and I sort of, and I'll get more into this and I'll give you, give yeah, you, I, we're going to drill down. I've got a special yeah. note to ask you about that. Cause it, it, it yeah. seems like a contradiction in terms almost, <laughs> but to tease it out and then I'll give you, give you the mic back. No. Um, I, I sort of philosophically think that the way sales or at least prospecting is done is completely wrong, especially in the, the enterprise B2B yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 and, and I, I told you that I did a little homework before we jumped on the call today and, and uh, kind of listen to some other other interviews you've done, and I, I've got some really interesting questions for you later. But now, man, we cannot just jump into this and skip the whole. I mean, I did a little little uh, like little stalking on on uh, LinkedIn, and I, I mean, there was this thing that popped up like hip hop, you know, in your past year. <laughs> uh, man, that's funny. I still have that there. You know, I was uh, I did college radio back in the day, so I was hip hop director and. For the for KZSC, which was Santa, UC Santa Cruz's radio station, and um, not only so, that, I mean, yeah. there was this whole idea of he lived in a in a kind of a janky little apartment in Brooklyn, and something about his his roommate <laughs> screaming death threats in his sleep. I mean, oh yeah, it, you you you've got a an interesting background that we could did, just slip on by, ever, and then did you ever no, hear yeah. Nardwar? You know who that is. I'm, I don't. I'm Nardwar sorry. is this this music this music uh, journalist that does these interviews, and it's like these in, crazy like this is your lifestyle interview, or he pulls out like an artifact from whoever some famous musicians past, and then the, the person <laughs> like freaks out because they're like, "How did you know this?" So I'm having that moment now because I I must have published something about early New York trials and tribulations somewhere, right? Which was that, that story, but Hey, we want to, yeah. we want to get the full picture here. And, and uh, yeah, we're, we're certainly not, not wanting to embarrass anybody, but it is, it's, it's interesting to, because yeah. I mean, nothing's wasted, you know, in, in the past, there's nothing wasted and everything is kind of building toward, you know, yeah. who you are and, and how you do your job. But you know, that, that going through, you know, Vietnam and and landing back in the states. I mean, you you I have had there. a I didn't find pretty the war, serendipitous so <laughs> trip. You know, yeah, no, just it kind of kind of trips through Southeast Asia. But yeah, yeah, um, it's just interesting to see that you know how you know all these pieces have kind of built to where you are today. You know, with with sales schema and things you've learned and and yeah. I mean, either previous jobs. I mean, you you've learned that you know things that worked and didn't work, and and how do you scratch that itch that you've got personally. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to figure out to piece all that apart in terms of like how it's contributed, but it's um, it was definitely part of that. You know, I think that in the early days, you know, traveling and everything, I think it was more just like running away from something as opposed to running towards something. Like I just yeah. knew that I, I didn't want the monotony of, of a job and all that stuff needed to make money. Uh, <laughs> and then, then you know, since we've I've gotten serious about the business, so since around 2016 or so. Um, that those values have shifted, like like they do in you know most people's lives. I think right. you know, it's more about building something cool. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, no so, doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you, and you mentioned Tim Ferriss early about you know. Then I think primarily the I guess the four hour work week you know would be the the book that you might be referencing there. But how has that kind of shaped you know with you know when you try to build something and have more of that you know work life balance you know that as yeah. you're heading into sales schema. Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I think that like a lot of people are having that same uh, quandary, right? That same like crisis sure. with yeah. post COVID and everyone working remotely and and everything like that. Um, so I, you know, I think that we're not the cool kids anymore. You know, the ones that people like me that that quit and started companies and did all the 
the digital nomading and all that stuff X years ago. Um, now that's like, you know, it's the whole white collar world right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so Good I point. think that, that uh, it's, you know, that there's sort of like habits and stuff that, that a lot of the, the people need to develop, you know, to get used to that. Um, but I think it's overall a very positive trend. And I think that people will figure it out and, it, you know, it allows for a lot more time in your life and meaning and, and so on and so forth. I think the, the one, and I know I'm going on a tangent a little, but I think the one uh, area that would have been a lot harder is just starting a new career. Like, I don't know how things would have played out if I was starting at an agency remote right now, you mm. know, in age 20, early 20 something. Yeah. You know? So yeah, maybe it would be fine in a different way. Uh, maybe it'd be harder to learn, to learn and get that experience. Uh, I'm just not really sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be something that, that you are going to have to flesh out, you know, with sales scheme and with staffing and, you know, onboarding people and hiring, you know, people to to work in that business. But um, yeah. I really do want to want to hear about the origin story of sales schema and what is, you know, what what is your your secret sauce? What's the USP? What's your kind of driving ethos and DNA? Yeah, it's a great question. So in the early days, to be honest, we didn't have one. I mean, we were leaning towards serving agencies there's a little bit of one we had we had a niche at least mm -hmm. um, but in terms of what we we're doing and to give context on that we are we call ourselves a fractional new business team um, and we're looking to be a better faster cheaper version than a bdr and i think we are you talk about the investment of hiring and training ramping up a yeah. salesperson that's that's what we do um, so you know we're working with clients we're doing outreach as our client to get them meetings keep the pipeline full etc uh, but to, to answer your question in the early days we were doing what most people are still doing um, when it comes to getting business, right? Mm -hmm. and, and getting meetings and, and that kind of thing, which was, um, you know, buying lists, uh, building lists, putting them through a funnel that might involve LinkedIn or email or phone, and then seeing what comes out the other side. And it, it did used to kind of work better, I think, because there were fewer agencies and there was less skepticism. And when you had a new area, like an influencer or something, yeah. people wanted to learn about it. Um, now I think what's happened because the internet's, you know, become more ubiquitous and there's more players and there's more direct and indirect competition. Uh, and this isn't just for the agency space. This is for like the world writ large. There's more of this barrier at the top of the funnel and in skeptical markets, the scarce, the scarce resource becomes trust, right? It's not really about information. It's mm -hmm. not really about people talk a lot about our offering value, you know, and that, that matters at a certain point, but and that's hopefully what I'm doing now. So I'm kind of contradicting myself, but um, really the barrier at the top of the funnel is more of like a trust barrier, right? Can I, can I de-risk this call? How do I know that I'm going to have my time spent well if I agree to talk to the salesperson that's talking to me and that sort of thing. So in that effort, you know, what to tell a little story and doing things the old way, like we had a client that was really well positioned. They had done a bunch of branding work. Uh, they've been in business for decades. They had a niche. They focused on enterprise tech. They'd worked with every major tech company. We tried every tactic under the sun to get the meetings. You know, we tried every every channel. AB tested all sorts of things: phone, email, LinkedIn, and nothing was really working. So we so we decided to kind of like try something new, where we really leveraged the power of their existing relationships. And we did this campaign where we said, okay, we're, you want to go after, let's say, it was CMOs of enterprise tech companies. Let's find the people that used to work for the clients that you worked with and then that have now gone on to other companies. And we sent them like a two line email that was like, hey, 
I'm making these companies up, but let's say, you know, Saul, you did a lot of work with Microsoft. That's cool. You know, uh, we've done a lot of work with them in the past, said more eloquently. Uh, I saw you're at HP now. We've done, you know, we, we focus on enterprise tech. I think it would be good for us to talk. And that got dozens and dozens of meetings. They closed mm. multiple seven figures of the new business. So what, what we tend to see is there's this, this kind of like arms race of, of outreach tactics that companies will do to reach skeptical decision makers, right? Where it's like, I'm going to make a video. I'm going to show you that I know all this stuff about you or your company or, or whatever. And the problem is that doesn't really de-risk the call. The thing that really de-risks calls is the connection you have to the person and essentially building that, that level of trust. So yeah. to make, to, to make things more tangible, you know, a lot of what we're doing for clients is doing campaigns that reference friends of friends that are to people that have worked in similar companies, um, same hometowns, you know, college alumni. Um, the craziest campaign we ever did is we found people that like our client or prospects like our client, client played tennis in college. And we use that as the way in. Um, so I think that like a lot of the times in the B2B world, we fool ourselves into thinking that, oh, everything needs to be like rational and there's like features and benefits and that's what's going to like win us the business. And there is a time and a place for that, you know, later in the sales process, deeper in the funnel, those things matter. But at the top of the funnel, it's often for better or worse, like a kind of tribal connection uh, that that makes, you know, the de-risks these calls. That's that's really what we found to work well. And we don't know anybody else kind of thinking about things in this way. So to, I mean, there's a thousand questions that, that uh, come to mind, but one of them is like, you know, when you mentioned this, this idea of, you know, how do you uh, leverage the power of existing relationships? Like exactly what you said. So to me, that, that almost harkens back to the old, I, you know, the days of the Rolodex, you know, this yeah. is my Rolodex on the office that, you know, that I, I'm going to, if when I need an accountant, I have an accountant when I need this, you know, when I, or when I'm trying to reach out to a certain company, I'm saying, who do I know that's in that company that's in this card file type thing. But how do you balance the, the, um, I guess, leveraging existing contacts without set feeling like all you're doing is you're contacting me, not because we have a relationship, but because you need something. You know, yeah. that whole idea that that seems like that would be a, a delicate, you know, balance there. Well, it depends on the nature of the campaign. But the short answer is, you know, what we find is that most of our clients have built their companies on the Rolodexes. You know, they mm -hmm. usually have gotten from zero to one on referral. Sometimes companies get to this, you know, multi-million dollar levels just on the power of the Rolodexes, you know, mm -hmm. personal networks. Yeah. But the issue is uh, pretty much everybody in that position is kind of doing it in this haphazard way. Right. right. So we're not really doing anything new. We're not like, it's, it, it's not rocket science. It's nothing like, you know, that unique. The thing that's new and unique is the, the focus and the scale, the relative scale of it. Right. So to answer your question though, like a, a really common campaign we do is a referral based campaign. And you could, you could do this at home, you know, if you want to um, with some, some technology and some data, it's, it would be hard, but it's possible. Um, where, you know, you have, you have this list of accounts that you want to go after. You have a list of titles, um, and you have your Rolodex, right? And not everybody in your Rolodex is somebody that, you know, right. and not everybody is someone that you would feel comfortable asking for an intro from. So you, maybe you're omitting 50, 60, 70% of your Rolodex, but chances are there's going to be 50, hundred some people that you would be willing to connect with, or mm -hmm. you would be willing to ask a favor from. Yeah. Um, 
And then if you have a process for identifying those people, then the next step is identifying who those people know within those companies that you want to reach right. and then asking for that intro. And not all of them are going to be able to help you, but let's say half, but a lot will. What we find is when we do that, maybe half or more are like, yeah, I can help you out. Um, and then now all of a sudden, instead of getting the haphazard, I know a guy <laughs> sort yeah. of referral that happens like randomly, you're now really focused and bat you're batching up referrals into the companies by directing your energy that way. Mm. Um, and that that is really a game changer because now you're getting introed into this company with like a level of trust through referral that you can't really fake uh, yeah. any other way. So that's an example. That's a common campaign that we run. Um, but your your point is 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 good, and that that's that's true. But you know, like in terms of asking for favors and stuff, what we find is that you know, making it easy and being specific about who who you want to meet, not just saying mm -hmm. I, I want to meet this kind of person, but saying yeah. I saw you know so and so. Do you actually know them, and can you help me? And just being honest, saying like, you know, I'm working on some new business initiatives. This is this something yeah. you feel comfortable with? And most people, many people, you know, willing to help. And yeah. uh, it's a classic thing. I don't know who said it, but like, you know, asking somebody for a favor, it's not like you're taking money out of a bank. If anything, that even strengthens the relationship because what you're communicating is like, I trust you enough to ask you for a favor. I feel like we're close enough that I can ask you for this. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that's, a, that's a great clarification, I think. And the, the idea that you know, and have having the willingness to do that in 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 a reciprocal fashion, you sure. know, that, that as they're reaching back out to you, and it's uh, I I I don't want to I don't want to chase this too far, but because I I don't want it to be you know you you I can chase it to its illogical conclusion here, but it's it's almost more than just like warm relationships or or my network. It really is, you know, the way you described it is almost like how do you identify an interconnectedness. Yeah, you know, with with our, our commonalities, even you know that uh, you know. So okay, they they here we all went to the same university. May not know them, but there's a commonality there, or there's a you know they we we work for the same company or same group of companies, or you know that type of thing. Is that is, does that come into play as well when you're when you're trying to look at these at these I guess warmer you know network networks or outreach channels. Yeah, absolutely. And that you kind of hit the nail on the head. And that's that's kind of how we're thinking about it. Um, and then in, in the book that I have behind me that, that I wrote, um, Relationship Sales and Scale, you know, I talk a lot about um the work of, of Robin Dunbar. You know, he's a sociologist, uh, and he came up with this idea of Dunbar's number, right? Which is like you know, the the rough number of relationships you can have in your life. And it's kind of it's in these these different circles, right? So you might have I'm paraphrasing his work, so you know, it's I might butcher it a little bit. Um, but you might have, you know, you have a circle of, of let's say five close, very close family members or friends that you confide in. You know, you have a, a, another circle of 15. Those are, are, are general friends that you see pretty mm -hmm. often. And then it kind of expands out by roughly by thirds. Um, so I think Dunbar's number itself, I think, refers to 150 people that you can maintain in your life on a first name basis, you know, hmm. acquaintances, yeah. um, et cetera, maybe somebody, people you'd invite to like a big networking event right. or whatever for your company. Uh, and, and then our our whole or my whole hypothesis on this is that 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 uh, that dynamic continues on past that by thirds, right? So the next third, which is getting into the low thousands, are people that you don't know on a first name basis, but who would talk to you based on one of those commonalities, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, there's there's a lot of those commonalities, but there's different things that are emotionally resonant. You know, could be yeah, hometowns, college, previous experience at the same companies. 
background in a certain space. You know, if you just say I'm in the marketing space, that's not really compelling. But if you're like, you know, I've worked at, uh, I've worked in the big agency space and we've worked on similar clients, it mm -hmm. sounds like, yeah. then it's like, oh yeah, I worked on Acme. They were horrible. You know, I know what yeah. that's like. That's right. Now there's that connection. So that's, that's kind of the way we're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I, and it's interesting because it's, it's not only, I mean, it's almost like a honeycomb effect too. It's not just my network. It's now I'm, if, I, if I'm connected to somebody, it's theirs as well. So it's an exponential growth as well, you know, as you're kind of looking at linking these, these, you know, networks together. And as you're, especially as you go out, it's almost like the concentric circles of, of interconnectedness, you know, that, that in, as Dunbar was, was trying to describe, but um I, I really right. need you to help me here because I've got a little bit of an oxymoron going on in my mind. This sure. relationship selling at scale uh -huh. that almost seems like that these are, these are almost contradictory in nature. So, you know, scaling would, would almost lend itself to just kind of the spaghetti on the wall, you know, <laughs> throwing spaghetti at the wall approach versus, you know, really, and relationship scaling would almost say, okay, you're, you're really drilling down and you're really micro-focused on, you know, who you're reaching out to. So synthesize those two things for our audience. Yeah. So I think the first thing is that scale doesn't have to mean inf infinity, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it can mean relative scale. Like for mm -hmm. example, our campaigns that we run, we might be contacting 25, 50, 100 people a day, just depending on the situation and the market and that kind of thing. So now what you're thinking about that list, that's a situation where you can really make a message in a sort of piece of outreach that's emotionally resonant, um, but you're still achieving the benefits of scale. Because if you were to just hand write letters or something, um, you would get out three a day, maybe they wouldn't get seen, and then you would get busy and then the work would fall apart yeah. and you would be back to square one. So that, that's the first thing. As for relationships, you know, yeah, we're not, we're, I'm no, under no illusions that you're going to have like a deep relationship with everybody you're ever going to want to reach out to on a sales basis. But um, it's a, like we were talking about, you know, with the circles of influence and commonalities, mm -hmm. it's a much closer, warmer situation. Yeah. And, and then once you talk to them, like we're doing now, then that is a relationship, you know, and then, then the, right. The dynamic changes in a lot of ways. So that's kind of how, how we're thinking about it. I, I think it's great. I, and absolutely makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, at, even as, as you were kind of explaining it earlier, I mean, the, the light was kind of coming on, you know, anyway, but um, I, I got to believe that you have an infinitely higher success rate though, than, you know, kind of a more mass approach, more cold outreaches, you know, that, that you, you've certainly seen that this works. I mean, you gave the example really early in the, in the chat here about, you know, the company you're, you tried everything and, and we weren't that, having any success. Yeah. That, that's what planted the seed. And, uh, and we, yeah, we've essentially, you know, AB tested them not just once, but many, many times at this yeah. point. And, uh, yeah. And that's my bone to pick with most sales situations writ large, not just the agency space, but I think the level of skepticism at the top of the funnel has gotten so high that the old model of I'm going to go hire a wet behind the ears SDR or BDR, we're going to go buy them a list in this piece of software, and then we're going to like write some copy and then hope that that meetings come out the other end, I think is becoming more and more unrealistic. I think yeah. it really does. You know, we're biased, you know, we're, we're doing this through a fractional way and putting a team on it. But even if clients, people never hire us, they build this in-house, that's great. Um, but it takes a lot of thinking and creativity and so on uh, to get right. The upside, though, is because of 
the the data that we all have access to and you know every and, and all of that um there's a lot more that you can do you know if you think about it and you are you you direct your energy and you're you're creative about how you get these doors open and that kind yep. of thing um i think as a side note um it's good to set the right expectations about like what outbound does and which is what we mm -hmm. focus on is outbound versus versus inbound which right. would be ads or content if people see this podcast and they hit us up that's inbound referrals and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, you know, and I heard this put put the other day by somebody else really well. But you know, if you think of the market as this, um, you know, like a bell curve where there's there's you know and on one end over here or here there's people that will never hire you because they're happy with their solution, mm -hmm. um, they're not worth your time. Maybe that's ten or twenty percent of the market. On the other end of the people that are actively looking for the for a solution, right? The people that are to convert through an ad or get referred, they're saying, "Hey, I need help with this thing. Do you know anyone?" That's another ten to twenty percent of the market. But then there's this this fat middle, which is like all of us, right, that are vaguely unhappy with whatever issue we're up against. We're not really super aware of the solutions. We're not really right. thinking about, we're not really in market yet. Um, and that's that's really like where, where the real ability to grow and scale lives is within that, I didn't make up this terms, uh, but the the zone of indifference, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's who Outbound is really reaching, right? Because... The inbound side of things is like it's like a uh, what's the what's the right word? It's like a really busy nightclub, right? It's everyone's competing <laughs> for those same few clicks. As markets get more mature, those clicks get more expensive. Yep. It gets harder and harder to reach that segment of the market. Um, so that's what outbound's doing. So I think that like our clients that do really well with this are building a process around converting somebody from problem aware to sale, mm -hmm. right? Um, which means that, you know, we're getting doors open, but our clients are the ones who are really good about nurturing those people and bringing them through. And that's really where the, where the real long-term growth happens, basically. Well, I, and I, I think the only way to reach that middle is is through an outbound practices. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, effectively and for sure. But it is, uh, it's it's really interesting because I, I mean, you're, you're so good. You're answering questions before I, I even ask them now. So, you know, we, we've got such a simpatico going here on this interview, <laughs> that, you know, mind meld, but um, I mean, I, I was curious, like how did, how does, you know, sales schema integrate with, you know, the inbound side of things, but I mean, you really are top of funnel you really are, you know, relationship building, opening doors, making those initial connections and then, you know, let the company do what they do. But is there is do you have any any part of your service offering where you actually can maybe even coach clients on you know how to close better how to you know it's it's one thing to to get the get the opportunity to to pitch but you know you've got to be able to close too you know I watch enough movies like yeah. you know Glenn Gary Glary Glenn Ross and, yeah you know, the boiler room you know always be closing here so yeah what's the uh, what's the how do you how do you help your clients in in that space as well or do you yeah, so we we do informally, and we definitely want to know what's going on. But we have mm -hmm. partners that that focus more on sales coaching, sales training, and uh, you know can do the things we can't, like listen to an hour long call and give feedback on it and that kind of thing. Yep. So you know, for some reason in the agency space, maybe this is maybe we have selection bias a little bit, but I've noticed that there's a little more aversion to getting help, getting sales coaching help, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times you know there's an owner that's gotten really far uh, without having ever done that. Um, but I think it's a mistake because, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a cliche, but it's true. Like Michael Jordan had a coach, right? Like it doesn't matter where you're at. Um, yep. if you can bring it up a little bit. It matters. And 
little tiny improvements are going to mean like millions of dollars. Like if mm. you just do this one thing a little bit better, mm. I do this for, for, for me, uh, you know, we have a new sales hire, we have outside coaching. Um, it, it helps a lot. So, so definitely recommend that. Um, I think the bigger challenge that our clients have, which is related to sales coaching, but I think is a bigger issue is more like offer development, like developing B2B offers, which is its own thing. And there's not one way to do that. There's not yeah. one blueprint for it. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of our clients in the agency space, as you know, they have like, um, you know, a whole buffet of services, right? So it's figuring out how do you find out what somebody needs? You know, how, how, how proactive are you about suggesting something? Do you have, is there one way that everyone buys? Right. Um, but I think a lot of that comes from, you know, more of like a destructive exercise where it's like a mold, a, a big block of clay that you, you shave off pieces from, you know? So it's usually about removing things <laughs> from what I can tell anyway. Yeah. Well, as before we move into kind of our final segment here, which is, you know, one of my, my favorite segments is the kind of the rapid, rapid response round, but um, let's just, let's just role play here for just a second. So you and I are going to step on an elevator. We're going to go up about 10 floors. You got about a minute to really pitch sales schema to me. So give me your, your best sales pitch and, and the kind of a really condensed version, concise version of the, of the offerings of sales schema. Yeah. For actual new business team, we work exclusively with agencies and marketing service companies. Main differentiator is we achieve the, this was just for me effect through relationship sales at scale, de-risk calls consistently. And we do this through a team, you know, not a productized service. So that's the the main thing that makes this work and, you know, gets our clients uh, scalable and reliable growth. Yeah. And what unpack, what do you mean de-risking? What, do, what are you de-risking? A, a phone conversation, you know, opening the, the, the door. And that that's important because we're not a silver bullet. You know, we're not um, going to serve a business on a silver platter, multiple silvers in there. Uh, so, so that's the main thing is, you know, we're, we're working at the top of the funnel, um, but that's often, you know, that, that things have to start there. If you want to get good at the bottom of the funnel, you need to have inputs yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. develop that process. So, well, Dan, I, I'm, we're going to transition here. I want you to buckle up. We are headed into the, the, the rapid fire round. And these are, these are, they, they, these are seemingly disparate questions, but they, there's a method behind the madness on, uh, on how we started these and, and just, we even data behind behind these related oh to entrepreneurs and and agency, you know, the, the service founders that. But I'm just going to ask you questions. I want you just to answer them as quickly as you can, and and just you know really concise answers. So, do uh, <laughs> number one, did, did you get along with your parents growing up? Yeah, I think for the most part, I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, every everybody has <laughs> it's, yeah. for sure. I feel I feel fortunate that way. Yeah. Did you have siblings? Uh, yeah, two younger brothers. Two younger brothers. Did you have a pet growing up? Mini dogs, four or five. Yeah, well, it's almost disposable. They, it's like yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we got them at Costco. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think I know the answer. You have kids? Uh, no kids. You, hey, yeah. congratulations! You said you're you're getting married this year, right? Uh, like soon. Next, uh, through two weeks. Two weeks. Two yeah. weeks in Virginia. Yeah. Wow! Yep. <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So what time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, I'm boring. I don't have like a super early wake up. I'm probably like a 7 a.m. pretty much average Joe in that way. <laughs> and what time do you you pack it in every night? Um, 
11 11 30 something like that yeah try to get seven eight hours of sleep yeah i'm pretty pretty boring in that way where's your ideal vacation spot money not being an object oh uh it's a great question I, i've done a lot of traveling um i think more more recently i'm in like into less less roughing it i think like we're thinking about portugal next uh algarve and like yeah beach and food and that sort of thing you know culture but also relaxation combined so that's that's probably the next destination and how does faith come into play in business that's a great question man i wish we had two hours for that um you know i consider myself roughly agnostic uh personally but i think you know i I think religion is just weaves itself into everything even if you are an atheist and uh there's business religions you know you think about traction the gino wickman or Mm -hmm. Vern harnish uh Mm -hmm. or other people i'm forgetting they're essentially secret religions you know uh so so there's that you know i I think that um there's also just some of my favorite books are very faith-based not necessarily christian or or anything like that any formal religion but like war of art you know Mm -hmm. um i'm very much into the idea that you know that when you're doing something creative you're channeling something else that we don't really understand you, whether it's scientific or it's something else uh and there there is kind of like a faith-based dynamic to that and i think you see that all the time when you see creative people being interviewed and and journalists ask them how they came up with this or that and none of them really have good answers they don't really know they don't really understand <laughs> it um on a much more like amateurish level like writing you know business books and stuff i i felt that a little bit you know there's there's kind of there's things that kind of come from the non-space mm. or from the ether or whatever mm. you want to say. And there, there is something definitely spiritual, you know, weird about that. So um, yeah, I, I'll go like at least 20% woo woo and so on. And <laughs> the way I think about business. Yeah. <laughs> well, my friend, as we, as we're wrapping up today, we, we've covered a lot of ground, but uh, what, what is a, just a closing thought you would like to leave our audience with, you know, we're just related to the space or sales schema and just the, the marketing space as a whole. Uh, yeah, if it was easy, everyone would do it. it ain't, none of this, none of this is easy. Um, but I think that, you know, well, at least what I'm trying to do, I don't, I'm not trying to like preach to everyone else is, and it sounds cliche, but just focus more on getting clarity and on, uh, figuring out what you, what you want or what, you know, what you should want for the business. And then everything else kind of becomes easier. What a great way to wrap up, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time again today to uh, to share with our audience, just being on the show and and really unpacking sales schema for us and, and how it integrates in the, in the overall marketing world. But once again, this is another episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we chat with marketing experts, providing insights to help agency owners scale and grow their marketing agencies. Please connect with our founder, Itamar Shafir at UmbrellaUS.com. Dan, thanks again and have a great weekend. Kevin, thank you so much. You too. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. To learn more, go to UmbrellaUS.com.